Greetings, citizens, and welcome to Unknown. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm here with Maureen Ellsbury, Shane Hurd, and Ryan Sprague, and we are happy you're hanging out with us today. Another week has passed, and that means we have another episode of Project Blue Book to talk about today. If you're not aware, there's a new dramatic series on history titled Project Blue Book, named, of course, after the U.S. Air Force's official UFO study that ran from 1952 through 1969. Project Blue Book, the show, is a fictional show based on this real study and focuses largely on Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who served as a scientific advisor to the government project Project Blue Book and its predecessors also, Project Sign and Project Grudge. Two episodes of Project Blue Book have aired as of the date we're recording this episode of Unknown, and the real cases the show has explored so far are the Gorman UFO dogfight of 1948 and the Flatwoods Monster of 1952. We talked about the Gorman case on the previous episode, and today we're going to discuss the Flatwoods Monster case. So guys, before we share our personal thoughts of Project Blue Book's take on the Flatwood Monster, Maureen's go ahead and give us a brief overview of the real case of the Flatwoods Monster. Sure. So um, this kind of happened during the height of sort of a UFO scare going on. Obviously, we had these cases that we discussed last week in the 40s, and now we're into the 50s. I mean, this is also the time where, you know, there's atomic bomb testing and scares and people are on high alert, so to speak. So um, this happened in September 12th, 1952 in Flatwoods, West Virginia in Braxton County. It was about uh, a quarter past seven in the evening, and there were a bunch of boys playing at the park. Uh, They alleged that they saw uh, basically a silver dollar, they kind of said flying saucer, fly across the sky that was emitting like bursts of red balls of fire, basically. Some people just describe it as a red ball of fire. There's varying reports throughout this whole case. So... um, the two brothers, uh, they were, I, I'm going to guess that they were about, I think they were about 12 and 13, somewhere around that age. And their friend, Tommy, ran to their their mother's house. They got this woman, Kathleen May, and then three additional boys and a dog. They went to go uh, investigate what they saw fly over this hill and disappear, which they uh, assumed this object had crashed. So uh, the story goes that the boys and and the mother ran up over this hill. They there was a fog or some kind of mist that smelled really pungent, like nasty, really irritant. Um, and then kind of like Ryan's again, apartment, right? Exactly. <laughs> so again, this is a spot where there are some varying reports. Some of the witnesses saw this, some did not. They alleged that they saw a, a big globular sphere like object and uh it was pulsing shades of red and orange uh intermittently and um they were paying attention to that and that's at the moment that the the oldest boy 17 year old gene lemon shined a flashlight and much to their horror they spotted these glowing eyes and this 10 foot monster uh staring back at them 
Um, again, the witnesses have varying reports of what the creature looked like, but the most general one was that it was um, these glowing green, yellow eyes, a red, like blood red face. Um, and it had some sort of like, uh, it's often described as the shape of an ace, like hood. Um, and claw-like hands. Well, again, that's only with some. Okay. Uh, Kathleen May suggested for sure that it had claw-like yeah. hands. Some of the boys said there were no hands. Um, some said that it was wearing a green outfit. Uh, some said they couldn't see any color from the neck down, mm. however. Um, so, uh, you know, this they they run down the hill in terror, and they're absolutely terrified. Um, and they try to report this, but the, the sheriff was away investigating an, another alleged plane crash close by, weirdly enough. Hmm. So, you know, they they had some paramedics on the scene treating them for bruises and scratches. Um, this guy from the Braxton Democrats comes out and he goes to um, investigate and sees nothing. But he says that he got his face really close to the ground and could smell an odor. odor. So um, anyways, when the sheriff gets there, there's nothing. Some people go back the next day, they see what they say are skin marks on the ground and some reports of some sort of weird, uh, oily, gummy substance on the ground. Blah, blah, blah. Some people think it was just tire tracks. We'll see. Anyway, so um, one of the most famous UFO authors in this time, or actually this is kind of what got him started, Gray Barker, you all know of, um, he went out and interviewed the witnesses and, and... you know, found out that there had been strange lights spotted in the sky uh, over half the country, you know, Ohio and Washington, D.C. and all these other places. Um, You know, so here we have this now town hysteria of the small town where there's a 10-foot monster. Is it there? There are some reports that some people saw an object taking off afterwards. Uh, There's lots of, like, a lot of varying tidbits. But anyways, this ended up becoming a case investigated by Project Blue Book, at the very end of everything, basically, much like in the episode of Project Blue Book, it was the the final skeptic opinion of it was that it was an owl in a tree, and that when the owl or the object hissed and started gliding towards them, um, that again, it was like a, a, I think it was a barn owl or something that um, it was just flying off the tree towards them. So um, this is a very controversial case but has brought a lot of money to the town of flatwoods so um i don't know what your guys's opinion on the case is um it's very easy to say hey yeah maybe this could be a meteor shower uh that was happening and that's what they spotted or the red pulsing object they saw was some sort of um navigation device from a plane or something and uh and we have an owl in the woods but um you know these People are now in their, the surviving members are in their 70s or so now, and, and they're sticking firm that what they saw was not an owl in the trees. Yeah, so what, what, what's your take on the Flatwoods monster case, Shane, as just, just historically the Flatwoods monster case, not the how it was portrayed in Project Blue Book, but uh, the actual case? Have you given that case much thought? Yeah, I actually wasn't completely familiar with it. I just heard about it until the Blue Book show. And then, of course, I kind of jumped in and uh, and read about it. And it is kind of interesting how, um, you know, I, I 
I don't know how strong a case it is, you know, evidentiary or anything, but it, it just I'm, I'm kind of impressed with how much attention it got at the time. I mean, you know, pretty much nationwide coverage. And it was it was just really the the testimony of these these people involved and really nothing from a physical evidence standpoint. But it really got a lot of attention. So I don't know if that was due to just the heightened attention on uh, UFOs in general, particularly in 1952. Like um, Maureen was mentioning, it was, you know, Cold War. And, of course, there was the UFO flap over the Capitol and, and just a lot of stuff going on then. So imagine everything got some attention. But, yeah, I was surprised how much this one got. But a lot, a lot of people say this is like a classic case. And, and of course, uh, Gray Barker getting his start there. So, uh, I mean, historically, it's pretty interesting, actually. What do you think of Flatwoods Monster, Ryan? I think it's terrifying. If any, <laughs> and if any of it. it is true, yeah, yeah, like that, just the way it's described, um, that's another thing. Like, there's a lot of varying descriptions of the monster itself, but also of like what actually crashed or was seen over the town. Um, that part always took out to me most was this this idea of the crash and um, you know people being being on high alert and being terrified of anything in the skies at this point. Um, yeah, it's definitely a a case that will forever. Be uh, I, I feel like it's in that folklore sort of sure. sort of area of this entire UFO history. Um, I don't know what I personally make of it, but these people were definitely terrified. I mean, witnesses <laughs> said that like one of the witnesses peed their pants at the time. Yes, that's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. I I, I, I would have done that. Yeah, for times. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, the way it was portrayed in the show was completely different. And I'm sure we'll get to that. But um, it is definitely a case that I always look at and have a smirk on my face. Yeah, it's it's a fun one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it absolutely. Is. It is. And, you know, I, I think by and large, it can still be in that sort of like question mark category, too. Uh, something this case always does for me, it, it highlights witness testimony, you know, mm-hmm. and how the, the, the many levels on which witness testimony is is interesting because here we we see demonstrated to us how widely witness testimony can vary. You know, these people were there, they saw the the same thing, but they describe it in different ways. Um, and that is very normal with witness testimony. That's what's going mm-hmm. to happen. I mean, the four of us right now, we were all in the same room and we saw something outside and we ran outside and looked. 30 minutes later, retelling the story, we'd all have a, a slightly varied uh take on the same thing so mm-hmm. that's that's human nature that's cool to see that um displayed here in this case the other thing is just the adamant nature of people standing by their interpretation of what they saw right and mm-hmm. that's always fantastic um in cases like this when you're dealing with strange topics um ufos monsters things like that when you have witnesses who describe what they saw but years later they stand by that story you know, that tells you a lot, too, um, in the sense that even facing ridicule in this case and, and um, mm-hmm. you know, being labeled a nut uh, for sure. I mean, you certainly sound like one. And even if, you know, after the government 
coming up with an explanation of something as silly as an owl still standing by the story. Um, that says a lot about how firm these people are and confident they are in what they saw. So I, I love seeing that and hearing that mm-hmm. with witness testimony, because on one hand, uh, you have to understand what witness testimony is and how valuable it is or isn't in a case. I was going to say that's something really you know, pertinent that we see Gray Barker doing in his investigations. Um, you know, obviously he's a controversial figure who later, you know, was like people were saying, oh, he he was actually uh, claimed he was kind of hoaxing stuff or not hoaxing, but making stuff up or he's just in it for the money or whatever. Extreme mm-hmm. skeptic. But um, one thing he did right is he interviewed each of the witnesses separately and really like worked on trying to triangulate um, similarities and differences in all of their uh, testimony to see, you know, do we have some, some faulty things going on or is there some truth behind this? Of course, like you said, we're all going to have varying testimony, but it's those, those points that have to line up uh, close enough to make something like, okay, well, they probably were there together that they saw something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, and and that's pretty much like the conclusion is these people were genuinely terrified. They genuinely saw something. But what it was, um, you know, if only the dog could talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. poor dog. Yeah, I, I, mean, I think the dog, the dog died. died too. Yeah, yes. yeah the that's died. the saddest part of this whole story. <laughs> I know. If there's anything we've learned, it's don't get a dog too close to a UFO. That's right. I mean, Or I, a monster. Or an owl. Owls eat dogs. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> they do. Yes, they do. No, owls are cute and, and wonderful, and I would like to cuddle an owl, but uh, yeah, they're, they're enemies of dogs and cats for sure. All right. Let's stop being sad here. <laughs> Shift back to yeah. history show Project Blue Book. So what did you think of the show's version of the Flatwoods monster case, Ryan? So I found it really compelling because i mean i'd i'd written a little bit in research flatwoods and i again i always thought it, it laid in that kind of folklore camp but when i saw that uh blue book was covering it i i actually had to go back and be like wait did they actually investigate the flatwoods right. monster like i had no idea um so when this episode came about i was like huh, i really want to see how they tackle such a like sensational case for the second episode, you know, with the first episode of the Fuller Dogfight, I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's, you know, it's legit. It um, it, it could very well have happened. But then this one, I was like, oh, did they jump the gun a little bit? But the way they handled it and then when Heine comes up with the owl conclusion uh, in the show's narrative, I, I totally I, I could see it. But again, it. The things that these people described, it, it seems way too big to have been an owl or I don't know. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was it was good. I, I loved the episode. I I felt bad that the dog had to die in the, the episode, too. But um, I didn't know if you guys knew anything. Was there actually like radiation uh, sickness with any of the witnesses like the show portrayed? No, I don't believe so. I think okay. that, that like the only paramedic stuff that was reported was cuts and scrapes from like running down the hill. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that was definitely added for the show, which I, I understand. But um, yeah, I found that compelling as well. That's creative license. And I don't have a problem with them throwing that in there because again, the, the writers of the show and the creators are very well versed on you know, UFO cases and, and UFO lore and, and other things. So they only have a certain number of shows they're working with. And I think they're trying to incorporate a lot of UFO stuff 
into their shows. And so taking mm-hmm. elements from other cases and incorporating them into, you know, a different case, I think is probably what's happening with a lot of what we're seeing portrayed in these shows. So, you know, certainly there are other fantastic cases where we do have exposure uh, to, to radiation and, and physical effects on people. So right. I kind of get them throwing that in there because it, it does make for great TV. Yeah, but I, and, you know, I actually was a little bit disappointed with their uh, <laughs> their creature. Um, sure. I thought it yeah. looked really meh. And, you know, obviously they had the whole forest burning down and it yeah. was it kind of looked like a little bit more like a fairy tale joke. I mean, don't get me wrong. The actual original drawing of what they saw in flowers <laughs> looks like a, a joke, but um, it's like Alice but, in but, Wonderland. Some, yeah, yeah. Or but a an, 50s in, B movie. Yeah. yeah. An, yep. an interesting thing, though, is um, after the episode aired, you know, I went back and was like, you know what? I kind of want to catch up on this case again um, to see where the differences were, because it's been a long time yeah. since I've, you know, I'm familiar with the case, but it had been a while. So yeah, for all of us. I reread the original Fate article that Gray Barker wrote. Yeah. And if you open it up, the artwork on that article of the monster at the top, like not the actual drawings, but just the magazines, like fun little monster climb thing at the top, looks relatively similar mm. to the way they depicted it. That's I'm going to, uh, I'll personally send you guys a clip of this, or I'll just send you the article. But, um, yeah, it it is kind of interesting. I'll take a screenshot and share it. It yeah, is. She and, to. and I want to yeah point out that the creators of the show have addressed um, this sort of issue with the show in that they obviously didn't obtain the rights for absolutely everything that they're covering, all of the people, the characters. That's why you know they have. They're working with J. Allen Hynek as an actual character, but the other characters are loosely based on real people and mm-hmm. we can figure out who they are, but they didn't obtain the rights to, you know, have these named characters. Um, and that's certainly the case with some of the other stuff too. I'm suspecting that's the case with the, the artwork, you know, the, the, the likeness of the Flatwoods monster that was depicted. So they had to come up with their, their own thing. Um, so do be aware of that in the show that, you know, it comes down to a rights issue and they're having to uh, be a little creative with some of the things that they're portraying in this show to avoid. Well, lawsuits. same with. Uh, yeah. And same with the time period, too, Jason. I mean, we have a, a linear TV show that we're doing like week to week, case to case, and we're following like a story arc. So everything has to be sort of sequential. And, um, you know, we know like. Fuller case happened 48. This happened 52. Like the show itself doesn't jump all the way to 52 to right. cover this case. So yeah. I think a lot of people have to look at that too. So I, yeah, I, I, was I love thinking... what they're doing with um, giving us the actual case after with like Dolan and Valet and all that too. Sorry, Shane, go ahead. No, that's okay. That's cool. I um, I also was kind of wondering, you know how X-Files, Not I, I don't want to keep making that comparison, but X-Files, they used to have – like a monster of the week kind of mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. And then they carried the overall theme and arc throughout that thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if that's what they're going to do or not. I've only seen these two episodes. And like you say, the first one was, you know, straight up, you know, nuts and bolts, UFO kind of thing, where this one seemed to be more kind of like on the, you know, 
monster side or, you know, a little more fantastic. And I don't know if they're going to play with that, go back and forth, if they pick their cases that way or not. But um, that's kind of what I'm looking for as I, I see this thing unfold is is kind of making those comparisons because it, it's it's really fun. I mean, they're, the char- characters are developing well and, um, you know, some of these ancillary storylines going on around it this be interesting to see how this thing ties together and how they thread that through throughout the entire season i know and that that makes me a little disappointed because uh i kind of have a pretty good feeling that they're gonna skip over the not do the kelly hopkinsville case now because they've covered Uh, this one and that one happened in 55 right afterwards um we'll get more into that case later i i know Mm -hmm. but um but yeah, that's a little bit of a disappointment because I always right. love reenactments of that case. Yeah, it me is too. The <laughs> best and most hilarious. No offense to the people that uh, that went through it. I know that yeah. wasn't hilarious for them. I don't mean it like that. But the reenactments yeah. that have so far been portrayed on TV and documentaries are pure gold. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, boink, do me boink, a favor. Boink, boink. I sent you guys that picture. You look at it. In the, yeah. in the, and tell me if that's not closer to the Project Blue Book de, um, depiction. Sorry, audience, I know you can't see this. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, monster in the saucer. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Hmm. So I wonder if they they kind of like looked at that. I'm sure in terms they did of in their research. And yeah. that's mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's one thing. Like no matter if things are inaccurate, they are definitely doing their research on all this. There's that new sci-fi wire podcast that follows each episode of the creators and you can just tell you can hear the passion and the hunger in what they're talking about and they bring up like so much of what we talk about as well it's not just entertainment they're you know they're they're trying to get these cases out so that you can go look at it like we are after every episode and see what actually yeah i'm glad you brought up that show ryan it's a really good podcast and it, it really does a fantastic job of giving you that insight into the decisions they're making and, you know, their thought processes and, and, you know, where they are and their, their journey of exploration, dealing with all this and hearing the, the actors, you know, and how their viewpoints have changed being involved in this and how deep they've gone down the rabbit hole themselves. I mean, it's a really cool insider's look. So I think that podcast is so much fun. If you're interested in this show, um, to get a little more in-depth knowledge behind the show. And thanks for bringing up, Ryan, the, uh, the thing about what history is doing with this show. I mean, we've talked about it, but yeah, as they did with the premiere episode of Project Blue Book, history provides information about the real cases they use for inspiration right on the network's website. And additionally, they're showing the info immediately following the episodes when they air on television. That's really cool. And I think a lot of people who have been skeptical of this show because it's not a documentary, a true to life uh, retelling of Project Blue Book. Um, haven't given the show a fair shake, I don't think. And I think they're expecting it to be something it's not. But I think, again, history is doing a really good job of, you know, having their fun with it, making this entertaining, having their fictional show based on reality, but then right after telling you the real case that inspired it. That's Mm -hmm. so responsible and just awesome of them to do. I think so. And a lot of detractors are saying like, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're stepping back and they're doing this now because everyone's complaining of how inaccurate it is. Well, I, I mean, 
I I know for a fact that they had planned on doing that long before production even. Right. So, you know, this was all planned. It was strategic, and they do want to get the real stories out there. So I'm going to keep watching and uh, and then going back like we did today and look at the actual case and see how it compares. It's fun. It's and, fun. I mean, hey, if it's good enough for Jacques Vallée, I mean, people need to chill out, right? <laughs> exactly. He's yeah. the mean, final word. Yeah. 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 Well— <laughs> The third episode of Project Blue Book airs on January 22nd, and that episode episode will tackle a fascinating and well-known UFO case known as the Lubbock Lights. I'm looking forward to that one. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, me too. Yes. And I have no idea what the episodes are, so this is like a, a little surprise each time. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> no, keep it fun. And, and they've been really excited about Lubbock Lights, too. I mean, they've used it heavily in their, their promotion uh, materials for this show, including the little inserts they've been including in the New York Times print editions. Like, and in the mm. press kits, and they've really been pushing the Lubbock Lights. So I can't wait to see what they do with that. Well, yeah. another series that we want to briefly mention is Hellier. So on Friday, January 18th, paranormal media company Planet Weird released this new series titled Hellier. The series follows the veteran paranormal husband and wife team of Dana and Greg Newkirk as they and fellow investigators travel into the shadows of the Appalachian Mountains on a fascinating and thrilling journey fueled by curious synchronicities, mysterious figures, and frightened locals with tales of goblin-like creatures emerging from mine shafts and the vast cave systems in the region. And Ryan, you recently interviewed the director of this series on your show, Somewhere in the Skies, right? Yes, I did. Yeah, Carl Pfeiffer. Yeah, so... Uh, former uh, Ghost Hunters International and Ghost Hunters Academy, I believe, veteran. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. So uh, there is just like a, a, a paranormal investigation powerhouse behind this show and people who are, are very familiar with all sorts of strange things. So, uh, Maureen, I'm curious to hear what you thought of Hellier. So I thought <clears throat> I thought it was really fun, you know, like... Um, we, I've been waiting for something on this investigation since back in, I don't know, we talked to Greg and Dana back in 2015 or something right. about this case. And that was when they were filming a, a, a television show had contacted them to film a pilot. So that was at that stage. But then they took it upon themselves when that ended up not becoming, um, you know, a show or a thing to in which it, they are better off for doing as well, mm -hmm. I think. Um to get this group together and go out and, and there are so many little weird, this is the number one word you're going to hear throughout the whole series, synchronicities. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many weird things that happen to them that kind of like tie things in. And oddly enough, I don't know if they plan this, but there are a ton of links to, um, you know, John Keel and the, the, um, Mothman Prophecy, Mount Pleasant, and you know, which is also West Virginia, and the Kentucky Hopkinsville, uh, Kelly Hopkinsville, the, ah, man, I can't talk today, obviously, uh, case, and um, so many weird things. So it was kind of funny that the the episode on the Flatwoods Monster aired this week, and right. then this came out right afterwards. Yeah. There's just a ton of tie-ins. Um, so I thought it was really fun. I do have some, uh, like some curious questions and it was kind of funny because I was uh, looking at the comments in YouTube on some of, uh, first off, it's awesome that they are providing this to everyone for free to watch. So, right. um, you know, these are four people that are going out and doing this. They don't have a production company behind them. I mean, you know, they were, they're doing this on 
they're putting same thing with Jeremy uh, Corbell, you know, putting their own dimes behind this and, and going out to research this stuff. Um, I I'm wondering the biggest. I don't want. I, mean, I don't want to do a lot of spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they do show a couple times um, doing the Estes uh, method, uh, which essentially is um, going through all these radio frequencies with a blindfold on and listening um, and just saying the words that are coming through that don't seem to be, uh, you know, DJs or music or, or what have you um, and asking questions. I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to explain without seeing it. Once you see it, you'll be like, oh, I got it. It's like doing um, the bird box challenge with the radio. <laughs> that Possibly. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but I'm wondering, like, did, did they also record what Connor was listening to mm. so they could play back and listen and see, you know, like, oh, let's, let's listen to what he was hearing. Do we hear the same things? Is there, do we hear different things? Or is that something that's just can't be recorded? You know, um, mm. I think, that's uh, just kind of one of the main questions I had while watching, just because I was super curious. Shane, as an investigator, I'd love to hear what you thought of Hellier. Yeah, so uh, paranormal's not my thing, and so I'm unfamiliar with a lot of it. But I thought, um, you know, first of all, they were very likable. It was clear they're very intelligent and experienced. And what I appreciated about it was it really kind of gave – me insight into what it's like to conduct a paranormal investigation. And so not just the techniques like Maureen had mentioned there, but just the, 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 the research that they had to do sort of the back end of it. And then, you know, when they find kind of launched into it and physically went there um, and then how kind of hard it was to, to get people to talk and connect some dots, but then all these weird things that happened along the way, the synchronicity, um, it was pretty fascinating. And I know it's kind of overused, but, I, you know, I, I think they they did a good job of showing how, you know, the process can be very intriguing and satisfying in itself. And frustrating at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think, Ryan? I I really liked it for someone again like Shane who hasn't done much in the world of paranormal uh it was interesting to see a real investigation not these like mm. slick edited things that we see for like 40 minutes on TV right. this was you know a five episode series and they were each like o- almost over an hour long and there's a lot of moments of like nothing happening or mm-hmm. um you know dead ends this that and and at first i was like oh this is kind of getting a little tedious but then i put myself in their shoes and i'm like wow i can't even imagine what it must have been like to like just sit there and like feel defeated and like hit every dead end you could to start to think that maybe this was all some elaborate prank uh i don't know but the big thing i really liked was this wasn't just about like goblins or um you know the these creatures that were taunting this man and his family that greg dana and carl go and investigate and connor uh it was about that synchronicity aspect and i also found myself like when they were having these weird synchronicities and showing how powerful they were for them uh i'm gonna admit it was hard for me to 
to relate or to see the power in those connections as they were having them. And uh, I was a little critical. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't see the meaning. I don't see the dots connecting. And then after I finished watching it the next day, I started like relaying my own synchronicities to my girlfriend. And she's like, Ryan, you're doing the same thing. Like, it means <laughs> something to you. Those synchronicities are for you. They're powerful to you. It's a personal thing. So I then, you know, looked back and said, okay, whatever these connections were, they're making in this investigation in Hellier and, uh, and beyond, uh, it was important to them and we're along for their journey. So I, I kind of stripped myself of that critical eye and just dove right in. And I can guarantee you so many John Keel books are going to be ordered after people see this. Thing. <laughs> oh yeah. I just ordered two on Amazon last night at like three in the morning. So going down the rabbit hole myself now. That's so funny. Yeah. You know, um, one thing I want to say is, so I think at, as, um, you know, researchers or, or journalists and what have you, we've all gotten these emails similar to, you know, this David Christie guy. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it is so hard to analyze what is so batshit crazy that it cannot be true or is batshit crazy enough that it actually might have some truth to it. You know, it's it's very hard to analyze those emails. And again, it's not like we're funded by yeah. um, some outside source. Like, how do you make a decision on which case you're like, all right, we're actually going to load up the car and we're going to spend a week yeah. uh, paying for lodging and doing this investigation. So watching the series and seeing their, like, doubts when it came to like is this an elaborate like have we been led on is this a hoax mm -hmm. what's going on um i felt their heart like their dread yeah and like knowing like oh my gosh did i just waste a bunch of money yeah that was dramatic yeah but but at the same time you know i think that the whole moral of the story too was that they had like a really good time investigating um this not this case, because, I mean, this was related to, again, you know, all these old cases, um, just going out and doing actual um, work in the field. Um, that's where, you know, we all want to be and we don't always get to be. Um, and so I commend them for going out and doing it. They do a really Absolutely. good job of, of showing what that experience is like and, and mm -hmm. taking you along the journey. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's so much fun, you know, not just because this is a field that I'm a part of, but I think, you know, anybody who is a fan or is interested in the weird, um, definitely check it out. All five episodes of Hellier are available for free on Amazon Prime, YouTube, Vimeo, and at hellier.tv. The website also contains episode descriptions, downloads, detailed series information, behind-the-scenes looks, and special features. So if this series intrigues you at all, swing by hellier.tv and check it out. Well, citizens, as we wrap up this episode, we invite you to come join us in the Rogue Planet Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Rogue Planet. And let us know what you thought of the second episode of Project Blue Book, what you thought of Hellier, or anything else UFO-related that's on your mind. You can always find more episodes of Unknown at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, YouTube, you know, all the podcast places. Big thanks to our talented friend and fellow Rogue Planeteer, Caleb Hanks, for the show's intro and outro music. Of course, you can always find this show at RoguePlanet.tv, because Unknown is a Rogue Planet production. RoguePlanet.tv is your home for all the strange. 
It's also where you can get your own unknown t-shirt from the Rogue Planet store. Just go to store.rogueplanet.tv. Thanks again for hanging out with us today. I'm Jason McClellan. I'm an underweather Maureen Ellsbury. <laughs> I'm Ryan Sprague. And I'm Shane Hurd. Do us a favor, friends. Always treat the UFO subject with the cautious and responsible skepticism it deserves. Question everything. Have the courage to form your own opinions. Keep truth as the focus of your quest, even if the truth conflicts with your own opinions. And, of course, stay strange. Stay strange.